Hi folks, thanks for tuning in today. The topic of this week's show is financial empowerment. Irit Harris has had a successful career in the world of banking and finance with stints at both ANZ and NAB. But following the birth of her daughter, she decided to take a different turn and enter the world of startups with a social business called F Empowered, which is all about teaching the financial basics to females to, to ensure that they're empowered to make great financial choices. In fact, Irit's goal is to reach 100,000 people in three years through group coaching, online and employee workshops. Ruben's rant this week is about executives and politicians leaving their jobs to spend more time with their families. And don't forget to listen all the way to the end for Irit's top three tips for both startups and getting financially fit. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Hi folks, thanks for tuning in to the Finance Hour. You might be listening live on Jair or on the podcast a little bit later. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. I've been doing this podcast for a while. This is, I think, number 57. So you can see all the latest, all the, well, the most recent and the oldest ones, uh, either searching the Finance Hour on iTunes uh, or you can go to my website, Adapt Wealth, or you can go to the JAIR website itself, which uh, is probably in a bit of a need of an update, but it's still semi-functional. Okay, well, today we are talking about financial empowerment. Um, my guest in the studio is Irit Harris. Uh, we're going to have a discussion about uh, financial education, particularly uh, for women. And uh, we're going to have a great chat, but before we do, it is time for Ruben's Rant. Ruben's Rant. Now, my rant of the week this week is about uh, the concept of executives or politicians leaving their jobs in order to spend more time with their family. Now, you hear this story a lot. Typically, it'll be a, a politician or an executive that might be in their mid-50s. They've been spending a huge amount of time at work. They've probably been traveling. If they're politicians, they've spent most of their time in Canberra. They've probably missed... Uh, 95% of their kids' uh, school events and everything else. And now the kids are probably growing up and in their 20s, but lo and behold, uh, they're going to be leaving their job and the reason is to spend more time with their families. Now, I actually reckon it's generally a bit of an ex- a bit of a rubbish. If they really want to spend more time with their families, they probably would should have done it when their families are younger. And we've just had uh, very recently... In the last couple of days, the politician, I forgot his name now, from the Nationals, who uh, had that uh, pretty uh, sordid sort of incident overseas, uh, where he had a dalliance with, uh, with some women uh, who were not his wife. And guess what? He is now leaving his work to spend more time with his family. I think he probably should have done that before. Okay, we're going to have a quick uh, radio break, and then I will introduce Irit. Okay, welcome back to the Finance Hour. Um, my guest in the studio today is Irit Harris. Uh, Irit and I will be speaking about financial empowerment. Irit, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Excellent. So you've listened to Jair a little bit in the past? Yeah, I love Jair. It's awesome. Obviously, your podcast <laughs> and your show, um, but also the Hebrew music is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The Hebrew music is often uh, a good break. Uh, from all the people carrying on, like myself. <laughs> um, but look, thanks for coming on. Um, so you've got an interesting story. 
Uh, you sort of were introduced to me by uh, Gabby Crafty, who was on the show four or five weeks ago. Uh, and I guess what you're doing sort of really dovetails in with, uh, you know, what this show is about, which is about helping people make sort of better financial decisions and being more edu- educated. Uh, and so I want to just start, just tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing today, uh, a bit about your history, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. Sounds good. So I may start the other way around with my history. Um, So a bit of background about me. I love maths and science. Mm -hmm. And when I finished school, I studied computer, electrical, biomedical engineering. Mm -hmm. Realised I did not want to be an engineer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to learn about business. And so I went into management consulting. Mm -hmm. And from there, I gained sort of the business acumen that allowed me to get into the banks. Mm -hmm. So namely NAB and ANZ. Mm -hmm been there for over a decade and really enjoyed myself and you know completed an MBA over my time diploma of finance and most recently an accreditation to give general advice Mm -hmm. on banking and insurance products Mm -hmm. Um, and separate from my career and probably most importantly I'm really close with my family have two beautiful kids Mm -hmm. Aiden and Jasmine and a really supportive husband yeah sounds uh it sounds like all the ingredients that you need. <laughs> Absolutely. And so to, to your other um, point, um, around, oh, well, my daughter was born. She's 16 months old mm-hmm. now. And it was really when she was born that something that I'd noticed over the course of my career had come to life in mm-hmm. terms of the gender imbalance when it comes to making financial decisions. Mm-hmm. And so when she was born, I realised that I could no longer be a passive bystander and I needed to take action to allow her to grow up in a society where she can feel financially empowered. Mm -hmm. And so whilst on parental leave from NAB with their full support, I began the journey of understanding, first of all, do women feel financially empowered? Mm -hmm. If not, do they want to be? Yeah. And also why? And so this, I mean, the work that you sort of did in NAB and ANZ, so that wasn't actually in terms of giving people financial guidance or advice. So what, what area was it? Sure. So it was a variety of different roles, but probably the common theme is strategy, execution, Mm -hmm. transformation and customer experience. Mm -hmm. I spent about six years in private banking where I designed the customer engagement model. Yeah. And probably from that, I learned a lot about what customers want, how they like to be engaged and Mm -hmm. what sort of drives financial impact. So so was that working in a bank, was that, uh, you know, was that something that, that really influenced what you're wanting to do now or? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think that um, working in a bank, um, I feel incredibly fortunate for the knowledge and skills that I gained over that time in Mm. terms of being um, more financially literate and empowered, if you like, than, you know, the general public. Yeah. So, I mean, I've talked quite a bit about the show on the Royal Commission. Yes. uh, And, you know, I've sort of given my take that I think, you know, there's certainly no question that the banks have done the wrong thing. Yeah. But... You know, they provide in general to the most people like a really good and important sort of service. So from Absolutely. someone who's sort of worked inside the bank, you know, if what we hear in the um, the papers is true, the culture is completely rotten, you know, from, from the CEO down to the um, down to the absolute bottom. Is that what, is that no, what the reality is? You know, look, my experience definitely hasn't been that. And I think that obviously, like with all companies, there are a few rotten apples. And unfortunately... Mm. You know, the behaviour of those rotten apples is incredibly inexcusable, Mm. regardless of if they're an executive or a a bank or a financial planner. Mm. That being said, I know that sort of, you know, from working from the inside, the bank is doing 
a lot, a huge amount of focus on trying to rectify the outcomes of the Royal mm, Commission mm. and some of those poor behaviours. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, though, that I that I am have been critical of in the past has just been the ease of availability of high-interest credit, yes. right? So, for example, you know, high-interest credit card debt. If you go into any, um, you know, financial counselling type service yeah. or or anything like that, that's what's crippling a lot of people. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, now they're probably being a lot more careful in terms of, you know, in terms of extending debt to people. But in the past, it's been too easy to get more credit, more and more credit cards. I completely agree. I mean, there's mm. 2 million Australians under short-term debt, mm. whether that be personal loan, credit card or car loan debt. Mm. And I think that number is way too high, particularly given that a lot of people don't know how to manage their money mm. in order to effectively sort of you know, demolish that debt, which yeah. is the number one step in terms of getting financially fit. Yeah. Okay. So you're on a sort of a, uh, is it maternity leave now? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so maternity leave from the bank. Yeah. And so you've started now this um, this startup. It's called FM Powered. That's right. So can you explain um, explain what that what what I mean? You've explained the reason was which was what to help promote financial literacy amongst women, and that was in part. Um, inspired by your daughter being born. Yeah. Although I can't imagine when she was born, she, that was her first words about <laughs> money, was it? <laughs> her first word was Aiden, <laughs> six months old, which is my son. Um, so, yeah. you know, when I when I spoke to those women, and I'm very sort of data-driven in the way that I've delivered the solution, mm-hmm. when I asked the women, you know, do you feel financially empowered? Which came, women did you ask? So I went out and did a survey and I also spoke to women face-to-face. So it was about yeah. 300 women in total. Oh, right. And... Um, it came Before back, you even started anything. Yeah, yeah, so re- yeah. Because I knew that it was a problem sort of within my circle, so to speak, but I didn't know if it was a broader problem sort of as part of the Australian community. Mm. And what I found was that 70% of Australian women were not financially empowered. Mm. Most of them wanted to be. And the three reasons holding them back was... Number one, feeling. Sorry, before you start, sure. how do you how do you define financially empowered? Okay, so I actually coined a term called financial fitness, which mm. I may continue using. Mm. And financial fitness um, is defined as a person's ability to make confident money decisions, resulting in financial security for the now and for the future. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's around being financially fit because I think there's a, no- a lot of uh, analogies between financial fitness and physical yeah, fitness that exist. No doubt. So the three reasons were I feel overwhelmed, finance is Mm -hmm. too complicated, where Mm -hmm. the hell do I start? Number two is I don't know who to trust. And again, this is the time of the Royal Commission, so Mm. that's quite sort of an obvious answer. Mm. And number three, which was probably most surprising, is I feel alone because, you know, I talk about a lot of things with my family and my friends, but I don't talk about money. And were these... um Women, were they generally married, single, or, or a combination? It was a bit of a combination. Um, most of them had kids, most between the ages of sort of 30 to 45, mm. and most working um, at least in a part-time capacity. Mm. And, I mean, those sort of questions as well, though, people being overwhelmed and, you know, not knowing what to do, I imagine that would apply to males a lot as well. Um, maybe, yeah. you know, almost equally as so much. So I absolutely agree it does apply Mm. to men. And actually, this is a question I get quite often in terms Mm. of why females. And Mm -hmm. I think that it comes down to, well, my own research and also the research that exists to date with regard to the difference between men and women Mm. um, in making money decisions. Yeah. Um, And, you know, given that 70% of women don't feel financially empowered, Mm. 
And then the other statistic which says that 80% of women at some point in their lives will be solely responsible for their financial well-being. Because they either get divorced or outlive their husbands. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, You know, I think that it's an incredible dialogue to start having. And Mm. so I don't um, exclude men. Actually, I welcome men and I'm building a business proposition which is both for men and women. Yeah. I see this as a real um, societal issue with regard to women not being involved mm. in those money decisions. Mm. So in those cases, I mean, when you're speaking to, I don't know, you know sounds like quite a lot of young sort of mothers, did you, um, did you get the impression that the male was the one that made the major financial decisions for the family? Yeah, so it was yeah. most of the time it was the male or they did nothing. Mm. Mm. Which is, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I have in my work... Um, you know the clients that I see there's you know I see a lot of couples together there are some times where the male sort of ends up dominating it uh, or or you sorry no when the couples are there together I don't find that the males dominate the decision making but sometimes you'll have situations where the wives won't come in they've just kind of delegated it and and, you know I I understand that um, you know that is an issue to extent on the other hand there are also, you know, divisions, you know, families and couples mm. have divisions of, of responsibilities in all sorts of things. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. so why is that, you know, the financial thing, why is that so much more problematic than anything else? So I argue with that so a couple of things. Um, the first one is, you know, some may say that, you know, the wife takes care of the kids, for example, and mm. the husband will take care of the business. Yeah. Oh, I'm not suggesting that. No, 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 that I'm, I'm making that up. I'm sort of making yeah, yeah. a division of, of roles. Um, but I would still say that the husband is still very much involved in those big decisions around the kids. So mm. which school they go to, those sorts of things, is very much a joint, equally understood decision made together. Mm. And I see that as a really important thing to be done with finances as well. And I think coming back to that stat around 80% of women being solely responsible, mm. you know, there's cases, and I'm sure you would have seen it, where, God forbid, a husband passes away and the woman has no access to any of the money yeah. because they've never asked the account details yeah. or their secondary on a credit card. or yeah. And those sorts of definitely. things, you know, definitely happen. So I think that mm. um, division of roles definitely, and I'm not saying that women should take over, you know, full mm. ownership of the money decisions, mm. but it's just around being... Um, having the confidence because, yeah. you know, these women that I've spoken to are incredibly smart, you know, mm. lawyers, doctors, etc. It's about having the confidence in their ability that finance isn't actually that complicated and, mm. you know, they have the ability to get on top of it. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so how long has it been going for F Empowered? So it's probably um, – I soft launched or launched in July this year or June yeah. this year. So is, is that seven months? Yeah. Yeah, seven months. Yeah. So yeah. what does it actually look like at the moment? Yeah. What, what is it? I, I know you've, you've got a great website <laughs> thank you, and a no, great thank blog. You. Thank you. <laughs> but what is it beyond that? Um, so I see it as a platform of two components. The first component is financial fitness workshops that I run with groups of eight to ten women. Mm-hmm. And I love these because although I, stru- I run a structured program, it's sort of mm-hmm. for 90 minutes or so, for me the value comes out of women really sharing their their views and their tips with other women about what they do with their money. So mm-hmm. something that they never felt comfortable about doing beforehand, they're given the forum um, and the platform to do that. So that's the one part. And the other part, to your point, is that digital platform which has just-in-time tools. It's got a mm. jargon-free blog. Mm-hmm. And jargon was actually a really big barrier to mm. women. And mm. I think it's so unnecessary, some of the jargon that's sort of yeah. used. And finally, inspiring real stories to try and break down the barriers about, um, 
you know, women talking money and how they've achieved their goals. Mm. And that's and, and I saw those stories are on your your blog post. Yes. So so the um let's just start with the first one. So so the workshops of eight to ten women. Uh, where do you how often do you run those? Where do you run them? So I run them from my home and also yeah. from co-working environments. Yeah. Um, I've run a number of them and I'm looking to run more next year. And and do you have you created the material from scratch for yeah. those things yeah. or yeah. yeah? And I've also worked with a um, an expert in super advice and yeah. estate planning to yeah. sort of you know work with me on the other the other parts of it. Yeah. And is a course is it like a series of. Of, of it's one course it's for just, ninety minutes. Oh, it's just a one ninety yeah. minute thing. Yeah. Okay. And it's been they've been amazing. Yeah. And women have walked out saying to me, you know, this is the first day in the rest of my life. Really. And other women have come to me and said this is the incremental step that I'm making in order to get financially fitter. Mm. And that sort of is in- incredibly nourishing yeah. to me. And how do you um, how do you publicise these things? How do you get people to come along? Well, they've been quite sort of targeted. I've made mm. targeted ones around um, specific groups of people, if you mm. like, and communities such as the One Roof community has advertised them on my behalf and I've run them there. Mm-hmm. And, um, and is it the same sort of content? Is it the same content for each one of them? Yes. Yeah. It is. Um, obviously, the sort of what I leverage will be tailored to the audience, mm-hmm. but the audience is very much of that age between sort of 25 to 45, 50, mm-hmm. um, people who are facing those really large money decisions, you know, having kids, building, upgrading a home, um, et cetera, mm-hmm. that faced within that sort of time period of, of life, if you like. Um, and it's about really how do you set goals and achieve those goals, and what are some of the things, sort of tools, etc., that you can use along the way? Mm. And I mean, if they're if they're sort of young married women, a lot of them, mm. like, isn't there an issue though that you know? Then they've got to go home and explain to their husbands, don't they? In yeah. a way, yeah. Or, or, or I'm just saying, sometimes that can be a bit of an issue. Like, I know if I see a client and I just sort of deal with one spouse member, yes. then they go back and say, oh, "I've got to tell my spouse about it." Like, like a huge amount kind of gets lost in translation there. Yeah. So, you know, wouldn't it be more effective to have both both members of the couple together? I think that's a great idea. Mm. I'll look to that next year. Yeah. 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 Because, um, yeah. So, um, so how often do you run these sessions? So in the past, I've run them probably once every three weeks. Yeah. Um, and I'll be looking to a different timetable next year. It'll be, yeah. it'll be probably once a fortnight, once every three weeks as yeah. well. Yeah. And do people pay to do it or...? Next year, that will be Next the case. Next year, there's yeah. going to be a, yeah. a payment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so is your intention for this to be like a a commercial, like like, like a business? That's yeah. Gonna, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. um, I've got two platforms. So, one's mm. a B 2 C platform, which yep. means you know business to consumer. That's going to um, continue to be a complementary service to really drive the financial fitness of of women in the mm-hmm. Australian community. I'm also building a B2B platform, which mm-hmm. is for organisations. And the rationale behind this is because financial stress is the number one stress in organisations. Mm-hmm. It costs Australian businesses $47 billion every year. Yeah. There's a huge ROI. It's three to one, $500 in the first year. Mm. I can rattle off numbers for a while. Yeah, yeah. But effectively, the need for financial fitness programs is incredibly important. And I've got a platform that... Um, I know that works and drives financial fitness that mm. I want to take into businesses and that will sort of be the commercial proposition. Right, okay. And, and will that generally be the face-to-face type So there'll be, there'll be two components yeah. to it. And look, definitely to start, there will be that face-to-face component. Yeah. But there's also a digital um, 
add-on to drive engagement ongoing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay, so tell me a bit more about the online, the online course. Is it actually a, a is it actually a course? Um, so the, the tools, yeah, or, or the um, the business proposition. No, I'm talking about the act because you said that there were three aspects to it. There was the face to face, oh, the digital tools, and then stories. Yeah. So what what's the online? Is sure. it an online course or what is it? No. So um, I have a few ju- uh, just in time tools, and the rationale behind that is that when you have a financial need, mm-hmm. that's when you want to talk. I mean, you'd know this mm. as well, but yeah. that's where you want to talk to someone about your finances. Mm. So I've developed some tools which really, you know, take people through the key steps they need to take when they want to, for example, save a deposit for a home mm. or choose which home loan is right for them. And that's what I really call is the just-in-time tools. Mm. The The blog is all about sort of educating people in a non-jargon, non-threading manner about stuff, money stuff. Yeah. And then there's the inspiring real stories where I interview really awesome. So women. how many, like, how many different types of tools do you have on your on your site? Yes, yeah, so I've got six at the moment. Okay. Yeah. And so was that like developing those? Was that like a a, a, a massive job in terms of? There was a lot of iteration. I really learned yeah. about um, what yeah. startup life. So tell me, tell <laughs> me about those different is. tools. So there's one about. You said about. Uh, so there's demolish so demolish short term debts one. Yeah. And so coming back to your point around. Um, you know, the plague of debt, if you like, within Australia, Mm. 2 million Australians. Mm. It's giving people strategies to demolish the debt Mm. um, that have been proven and sort of potentially ones that you would use with your customers, for example. Mm. So that's one. There's save up for something important. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, buy my home with confidence. Mm -hmm. I've also got one playing on the fitness aspect around couch to 1K. Yeah. And this is a program which enables you to save up $1,000, and I do it for 21 days and targeted mm-hmm. sort of contact, um, save up $1,000, you know, not within the 21 days, but over time and sort of giving you the tools and motivation to do that. Yeah, so so, so that sounds like it's something that takes time. What is it? Is it a, how do you, so you're engaging It's all digital. For a, so you're engaging for a period of time, though. It's not just like a one-use Yeah, thing. no, that's ongoing, but it's yeah. all by digital email, et cetera. So what is it like a series of sort of emails and prompts and that exactly sort of thing? exactly yeah. yeah yeah and did you have to like to develop these tools you know um, did you have to do you do it yourself did you have to no, engage I did it people or I did it myself so yeah. you you you've got a bit of a yeah, IT I'm, I'm a bit of a geek yeah so you've got that <laughs> IT sort of background yeah, yeah look I think um through obviously my time in engineering plus management consulting I learned how to use. And yeah. obviously the banks as well learned how to use a number of different tools. And to be honest, um, it has been iterated from like Excel spreadsheets into other forms um, mm. that are more engaging. And that's been part of the process and part of the learning. And mm. I've had a number of people that have sort of gone through these courses and helped me along the way and provide me with feedback that mm. has been incredibly valuable. Um, so with the courses, that that's the, the face-to-face the, course? No, the just-in-time tools. Sorry. Oh, sorry, just-in-time Well, both course. actually. Yeah, yeah, both, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Okay, so so then the um the the as you said the business to business yeah. stuff. So what kind of businesses are you are you going to speak to, or have you started that yet? Or so I've started the process of engaging. Yeah, um, I'm looking primarily at medium sized businesses mm-hmm. in the IT space. Okay, that have a real focus on diversity, employee well being. Yeah, there's a lot of companies. If you look at the likes of Atlassian, Canva, etc., mm-hmm. they um, have a huge, huge focus on driving employee well-being, mm. and so I feel like this fits incredibly well as part of that. It's an L and D component. It reduces stress in the workplace, mm. as mentioned before, number one stress, mm-hmm. um, and it leverages all the learnings that I've had over the last sort of seven months or so, probably longer, and sort of embeds that into a into a company to mm. drive financial fitness. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you envision that'll be like a also just be a one-off sort of ninety-minute thing, or it'll be a bit bit longer, or so there'll be the one-off. The current proposition is the one-off ninety-minute two-hour yeah. class. I've yeah. actually positioned it as a two-hour proposition, yeah. um, plus ongoing contact, because I think when it comes to money and sort of the stuff that I. Um, empower people on from a goals based perspective mm. it's about sort of keeping in touch with them so yeah. it's how do you how do you be your financial personal trainer or mm. your financial coach to a group of employees how difficult do you think it is getting people to change their financial habits like 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 yeah like you know getting people to change lots of things is hard getting you know going to the gym or you know everyone knows they need to lose weight and they they might start you know but but 80% of diets or 90% of diets fail yeah. Right. How do you, how do you, you know, how do you motivate someone to actually change? I think it comes down to the what's in it for me, mm. and being very specific about what is your goal mm. and how do you allow your money to help you achieve that goal. Mm. Mm. And I think that that's effectively, if I look at sort of the classes that I teach, the workshops that I teach, that's the basis to the classes. They're very much around. Let's define what your goal is. Mm. Let's set up structures to enable you to achieve that goal. Mm. And so I think that when it comes down, if you teach something, uh, if you teach things to people that aren't relevant, so to speak, mm. it's very, very hard for people to take it on board. As soon as they see the what's in it for me, they start seeing the benefits to their lives. Yeah. One I of think the thi- it changes, yeah. yeah. One of the things which is interesting as well, and that's um, something that I come across too, and maybe financial planners are a little bit guilty of, you know, sort of maybe you know, being a bit superficial in terms of people's goals. But I mean, I, I think yeah. you know, the reality is I think a lot of people don't generally have goals yeah. to start with. They don't necessarily have financial goals. And it's sort of, you know, the process of actually getting them to identify exactly what they want. Mm. I don't know. It's not always that easy. It's not something that can just sort of be done, from what I can see, in a, in a short period of time. Yeah. You can put a list of things up and say, oh, which one of these are your goals? And they'll pick them. Yeah. But, but how do you make sure they're really meaningful to them? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, interestingly, I start um, the workshop with a question to, and this actually breaks the ice and gets people thinking in that sort of mind frame, if you like, of if you won Tats Lotto tomorrow, mm. what would you do? Mm. And that actually gives a lot of insight into what people's sort of dreams are, their goals are, and it gets that in, them into that mindset. Mm. And then we go through a goal-setting exercise of sp- setting SMART goals, which I'm sure yeah. You've, yeah. you've come across as well. And going through that process, and I sort of say to them, you know, this is um, this can be used for other long-term goals, medium-term goals, etc. Mm. But think of something you want to achieve over the next year, and let's work with that. Mm. So we're sort of starting almost small and immediate, and something people can see, yeah. And they're moving on from there. Yeah. Well, I think it's in all those things. It's good to have a quick sort of win. Yes. You know, so so it motivates you to Absolutely. keep going. But but I think. Um, you know, I think with as with anything, you yeah. know, there's going to be a, a high level of relapse, I'm guessing. Yeah. Look, um, yeah. I mean, it's like, I guess, we, you know, if you think about exercise, for example, like if you can get, you know, I don't know, for me anyway, if you can get a couple of good habits in place. Absolutely. Like that's what can in, endure. If you sort of, you know, you can over two or three months get a good habit, like have a regular gym session time that you keep to. That's that's something that 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 you can change. It's more that that's the way I see it. It's more yes. like like can you embed a, a habit into your daily or weekly life? You know that that can have a long term impact. Absolutely. And something I talk about is unintentionally saving intentionally, mm. which is about how do you set up structures and systems 
with your money that enable you to achieve your goal without you even thinking about mm, it. Mm. So for some people that may be um, as part of their offset account, mm. maybe a savings account or maybe an investment account, yeah. how do you start siphoning money off into the, mm. one of those accounts, that's which is right, right for you, yeah. in an automated fashion so you're not actually mm. even thinking about it? Yeah, and I think that's uh, – I, I think I spoke to you about Steve Crawford, a yes. colleague of mine who um, he re- his business is really focused around – people doing you know managing their money like actually physically managing their money yeah. and he's got uh sort of three elements to his his process i can remember two of them <laughs> but what one of them is obviously is really how you set up your banking right how you bank where do you spend money from where do you you know where do you put those different buckets how do you know how much you've got to spend so so it's very much about setting up a few different accounts absolutely like a spending account you know, it may be short a, a savings account and a, I don't know, a medium-term bills account. Um, and, yeah, the, then another aspect of it is, you know, actually analysing the data. So getting some kind of data feeds of what you're doing and having some reporting. Yeah. Um, but just that reporting alone, you know, there, there's lots of sort of fintech companies out there now that you can, you know, they can get feeds from your bank. And, and, and actually some of the banks have got that themselves on their internet banking. You might have, I don't know, I imagine you had some exposure to it at yeah. in the banks. So yeah. they actually, the banks are actually allowing you to report on based what's gone through your credit card. But once again, reporting, just reporting on it without any, you know, real sort of action plan behind it also becomes... Absolutely. Mm. And I've seen a lot of people, um, without even using the digital tools, which are amazing out mm. there, I've seen a lot of people actually write down their income and expenses and, mm. you know, by the mere act of writing mm. their income and expenses, they've been able to review their finances mm. that way. And I think there's a huge amount of value in sort of questioning, you know, are my expenses aligned with what my goals are mm. and what my values mm. are? Yeah. Um, and you don't actually get that through using a digital tool, I don't believe. Right, right. That's the thing. And I guess it's, um, as I said, I think a lot of it comes down to, yeah, people have got to have that and certainly that's what Steve says. He said people have got to have that motivation. Absolutely. They've actually got to have something that they really want to want to achieve. If they don't, yeah. Um, yeah, then they're not going to do it. So uh, I've actually also talked before um, about, you know, you talk about savings without uh, on automation. Uh, have you heard of Acorns or Rays? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, I'm a subscriber to them and First Step, yep. uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah? Yeah. So do you want to just uh, explain... Listen a bit about what those sort of two two programs are about. Yeah, sure. So they leverage micro investments. So a lot of investments that exist out there, um, you need a minimum amount to actually buy in, so mm-hmm. to speak. With a micro investment fund, um, if I use sort of well both of all of them actually, first step and raise, what you do is you can put an automatic um, transfer in. So similar to what I was saying with the savings account, I put in ten dollars a week into my first step account. Mm-hmm. And that invests it into a group of indices. Mm-hmm. And basically what they are, what that is, is it's a, um, an average of the ASX, yeah. the share market top 100 shares, yeah. and invested in that. And I buy $10 every single week. Yeah. And that, that amount effectively accumulates with interest mm. over time. I don't know what it's sitting at at the moment, mm. but it's been you know, much better than my savings account yeah. as an example. Yeah. And it and and you can also do it so that it rounds up. Rounds up. Oh, as well. I love round up. Yeah. 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 So rounds up is let's say you you can set the um the setting. Let's say you go buy a coffee for four dollars eighty, mm. and you've set the setting that it will round up twenty cents, or put that twenty cents or automatically into the savings account. Yeah. So we'll charge you five dollars 
and I'll put 20 cents of that $5 into the, um, sorry, the investment account. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also, it's a really good uh, educational type tool as well. Uh, just to, you know, maybe for young people as well, just to see how, you know, the compounding effect of, of Absolutely. those. Absolutely. And also the good thing about it is that if you're doing it regularly and if the investment markets are jumping up and down, which they are now, um, you know, when the market's low, you know, you're still putting in the money regularly, you're going to benefit when it when it rebounds. So those regular investments, it kind of, um, it, it significantly reduces the risk as well. Yeah, it's sort of the... Um the huge impact of compound interest you, mm. you can really see absolutely mm. so are you um i mean fintech is obviously a big you know financial technology businesses are a big they're growing sort of industry do you sort of keep on top of other kind of you know financial technology businesses that are around yeah look i do and i'm very interested in it particularly you know in my um prior job at NAB, I was mm. in the strategy team and that was something I really focused on. Mm. Um, but I am very interested in the emerging financial technologies that exist. And I see mm. a lot in, um, you know, AI, blockchain, internet mm. of things are sort mm. of buzzwords that are used quite frequently, but yeah. equally they are going to have a big impact on um, the banking industry. And mm. I think sort of more close to home, open banking, mm. which is coming online mid next year. Yeah, and that's where you can change banks, what, keep your bank account numbers, and is that it? It's basically um, a very, very easy way to switch banks mm. in, in sort of the, the basic mm. level. Um, plus NPP, which is the new payment platform, mm. which allows you to pay people immediately. Mm. And I think there's a lot of you know, incredible technologies coming on board that's gonna make mm. our lives as consumers a lot better. Mm. One thing that's uh, come up a, a lot now is, uh, you know, because it's because getting credit or getting loans is getting harder, particularly on the back of the Royal Commission, there are lots more of these sort of consumer and business online lending platforms. I mean, Afterpay is probably the most popular one, which is, it's like the old lay-by, really. Like, you you know, you go into yeah. any, almost any shop, you, know, you go to Rebel to buy your, I don't know, your sports gear. And uh, yeah, rather than paying now, you can pay it in three or four instalments. And then there are lots of them which do do business loans as well. And they, rather than having to go through some long assessment, you know, they tap into your um, you know, into your financial accounts and your bank, and they sort of read them and they make a decision in about one millisecond. <laughs> um, so you know, those things you could say, well, you know, it's using technology uh, and making decisions efficiently and giving people access to credit. But then again, isn't it making people making it too easy for people to borrow money? And a lot of these things, like you know, in, in the end, they 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 dress it up one way or another. But they've got very high interest rates. Absolutely, and I think that the the flip side of that is when the credit markets are good and bad and doubtful debts are at lowest points, which mm. they are now. It's all, it's it's a fantastic business. Mm. But as soon as sort of that cycle turns, when interest rate rise, mm. um, the true colours of these businesses will come out. So they are amazing in giving access um, to finance to people that may not have access. Mm. But on the flip side, from the business perspective, um, I think appropriate due diligence um, does need to take mm. place on both accounts to ensure that, you know, there's you know, safety effectively mm. with money transfer. Yeah. But that's part of the problem I see now with the whole crackdown in, in, you know, making it so much harder for people to borrow money and even people, you know, borrowing for home loans, like the way they're assessing it is getting much more difficult. And I've talked about that quite a bit on the show. Um, so, you know, the banks are, are facing all the tough regulations. So they're the ones then back. And then what it does is it pushes people to borrow outside of the banking system in a less regulated way. Absolutely. Um, there'll be lots of other, there'll be lots of, you know, 
lawyer funds or whatever lending money for people for their mortgages yeah. but they do it about four or five percent higher but they don't really care what your expenses are and then there are these sorts of things so you know i see it as being a bit problematic that they're that you know they're they're solving a problem they think they're solving a problem in one area but all it is is pushing it to an unregulated absolutely area. it's the moral hazard mm. of um mm. some of the things that that occur and the resultant, you know, impacts mm. on people. So people mm. are paying much higher interest than they would have mm. otherwise. And as mentioned before, when interest rates rise, and, you know, I assume mm. they will at some point, they're at their yeah. lowest points in 50 or 60 years, yeah. um, I think will be really challenging mm. for some people. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, obviously you've, you know, you've worked for large organisations and now you're probably working in almost the smallest organisation. Is it just is it just you at the moment? <laughs> yes, I'm a solopreneur. Okay, so you're, yep, so yep. you're in the smallest organisation possible, really. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Going from one of the probably, I don't know, NAB names that I imagine they're in the top 10 employees yeah. in the country, yeah. right? So how have you found that, that switch? Is it like a complete breath of fresh air not to have to report to a boss who reports to another boss reports to another boss like is that <laughs> is that being like a, a massive load off your shoulders doing that or has it created other challenges yeah it's a really good question um in my startup i'm the ceo i'm the coo i'm the cto and i'm mm. all the schleppers in between mm. and um i think you know definitely there can be some risks with regard to feeling alone mm. and not having support or a person to ask questions from mm. or encouragement as well. But what I've been able to do, um, and I feel very fortunate that I have, is that I've been able to um, both source incredible consultants, mm -hmm. but then equally surround myself by superstar advisors mm. and mentors mm. um, that have really helped me when I've been stuck and equally motivated me when I've been sort of on the right path. Mm. And, you know, if I compare it to a large organisation, which is, you know, very, as you said before, it's sort of one versus, you know, 40,000 people. Um, I've had literally teams of people doing the things that I do myself. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I've, I've sort of managed to balance that out, if you mm. like. Um, but I think, you know, coming from a corporate and building a startup, I've gained a huge amount. Mm. So um, I think around the rigour of being on top of my numbers and the drivers of the numbers, um, having data dictate decisions, mm. um, being customer-centric, mm. um, and equally the connections I've made, you know, from people I've worked with and studied with, mm. they've been incredibly invaluable. That data dictating decisions, that's a really interesting one, I think, because a lot of small business owners will just go off their gut yeah. the way they're feeling but I imagine in big business they, well, they won't make any decisions without sort of you know detailed analysis of, of data absolutely mm. it's sort of the drivers the data the follow on and that's sort of um, been very much sort of instilled in me mm. in a way to build my business so you said that you've got sort of mentors and advisors like like have you, are they form? Is it for, are they formally mentors? Are they just people that you just pick up the phone? How did you? How did you choose them? How do you work with them? Yeah, really good question. Um, they're people that I know through all forms of life. Either mm -hmm. they're friends of mine that are doing something within the startup and venture space. Mm -hmm. um, they're women that have started their own business. Mm -hmm. They're people sort of from my NAB and ANZ days, mm -hmm. um, and you know from MBA as well. So I think that when I um, when I have a challenge, 
I have no hesitation to reach out to individuals mm. and they've and, and what's been incredibly surprising and refreshing and amazing for me is the generosity of these people's time. Mm -hmm. And they've been so um, open and happy to share their learnings and give me advice based on where I'm at. So it's not like a, a formal thing? You've got, do you have a formal mentor? No, or no. It's, it's just much literally picking up the phone at different times? Absolutely. It's mm. around setting up meetings and picking up the phone when mm. I have a challenge or want to mm. meet with someone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the, the startup... Um, Scene or the startup community, if you like, is inc incredibly encouraging and actually wants to see you succeed, mm. which is, um, I mean, not to say that that's not the same in corporate, but, mm. you know, it's an incredibly amazing and thriving and encouraging community. Mm. And I think that any time that I've had any issue, I've wanted to um, bounce some ideas off anyone. They've been incredibly open and um, willing to chat to me. And have you... Um have you speaking about the startup thing? Have you have you looked at any of those co-working spaces or yeah, I have. Did you use that at all? Or look, and and I would if there was more than just me. Um, yeah. But given I've been on parental leave and I've got a daughter at home, yeah. and I'm doing this sort of a lot in between. Yeah, yeah. Her sleeping, um, yeah, it's a lot yeah. more efficient for me to be at home. Some so I don't waste time traveling. Have got childcare. Yeah, and that's incredible. And, yeah. I, and I think they're amazing businesses, yeah. co-working environments. Um, just for me, it doesn't work for me right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's also there's even the one, um, oh, and I forgot, the Australian Jewish Funders, one on Chapel Street. Do you know that one? Tracy Olka. Oh, I think I have heard of it, got, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got, a, um, they've got like an incubator type, um, yeah, type service office or service office or shared office or whatever it is. So, okay, so you've talked about... Um, we said you reach out to people when you have challenges. So what have the biggest challenges been? Oh, at different <laughs> times, it's different things. Um, I can talk about my challenge right now because mm -hmm. I think it's very much time specific. And, mm -hmm. you know, until recently, it's about, it was about getting um, product market fit. Mm -hmm. And what that means is iterating enough. Have you ever seen a graph about how a startup starts? Like, you know, from idea to product market fit to scale. Yeah. It's a very much like a big spaghetti. Mm, mm. <laughs> um, and until now where I feel like I do have a, a product that can I can take to market, it's been a lot of iterations and, mm. a, and a lot of challenges around getting that product market fit mm. and building engagement, building a brand, etc. cetera. Um, where I'm at at the moment, it's about how do I get into organisations, share with them, the issue that is actually an educational piece at the moment where a lot of organisations don't realise that their number one stress among their people is financial stress mm, mm. Um, and speaking to them about the potential solutions that I could offer. So that's where I'm at right now. Um, but every sort of month or day mm, could be a different challenge, mm. yeah. So, uh, and how do you know, because obviously being a sole business owner, it sometimes, sometimes you've just got to make a decision and kind of keep ploughing down as opposed to, you know, constantly changing and second guessing. I mean, how do you how do you balance that? Like, just say, look, no, this is what I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. Versus, you know, the other option is people can just jump from one thing to the next to the next. So um, they use the word pivot a lot in mm. startups, and I actually personally don't like that word because it means like moving from one thing to the next. Mm. Um, I use the word iterate, mm. and I make a decision. I go out and test it with a number mm. of people, get their feedback, and iterate based on mm. that. Um, so it hasn't. It's been very much around me trusting my gut, making decisions, and mm. then just using data to drive whether or not those decisions have worked. Mm. 
and doing that in a disciplined way. Absolutely, yeah. But you wouldn't do that. Surely you don't do that with every single decision that you make. No, it's just the big ones. Yeah. Like, for example, the thing, my proposition that I'm taking into businesses, yeah. that's a quite a big decision that I've iterated on quite a few mm. times. Yeah. And, and that was ba- on the basis of going out and speaking to I've spoken to a number of HR professionals, yeah. Mm. And yeah. the business as well. Okay, so we're... Um, so you're talking about goals, right? So what are your goals for this uh, for this business? So that's a <laughs> that's an excellent question. So, <laughs> I'm so, asking a lot of good questions. No, I love it. I love People it. People always say to me, "That's a good question." I don't know if they're just saying it to be nice, or <laughs> no, no, so that, that was a good question. So, um, so my mission is to empower a hundred thousand women within three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I think about the short term, it's really about seeing women in particular, and men as well, um, take control of their money, drive goals, and achieve a plan for the future. Mm. Okay. And so that's 100,000 people, so that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So in three years, that's uh, it's not 33,000 a year. I think you probably <laughs> – you might go from 10,000 to I don't exactly. know, 20 and then whatever. But what's the, what's the plan? How are you going to do that? So I'm going to start off physical – and mm-hmm. I'm going to um, in in businesses, mm-hmm. and I'm going to look to a digital proposition in the medium mm-hmm. term. So the digital proposition will be in like actually like an online, yep. online training course. Yeah. And do you expect that you're going to be doing all this yourself, or do you do you want to get to the point where you've got uh, other people that are also delivering it, or yeah, look, or I think you haven't thought about that yet. No, I have. I definitely have. Mm. Um, I'd love to to build a company and have people within my company. Yeah. For for the now, um, I've recruited first class consultants to do the stuff that I can't do. Um, but in the future, I definitely recognise that I can't. I so, can't do it all. So consultants do what sort of thing? So, for example, um, my accounting and legal. Mm. Um, I've got a technical person who can build a technical solution for me. Yeah. I've got a designer. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and sort of commercially, what's it going to take for it to kind of get to a commercial success point? I, I don't. I, I mean, to get to the level where you're earning, you know, the high executive salaries of a, of a CEO, thousand women, of a CEO at NAB. You know, oh, <laughs> I imagine that's where your career path was going before oh, of this. Course, of course, of course. Um, yeah, look, I think, I think for me, it's it's much more of the. Um, the social drivers. I think from yeah. a financial perspective, um, there definitely is a commercial outcome that I'd be looking to achieve. And I think starting, you know, relatively small with a few companies and then growing, you know, I yeah. really um, hope to achieve that 100,000 number in yeah. three years. Um, that would be absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, but from a social perspective, I'd love to just change society mm. in that sense to try yeah. and get more people and, you know, women in particular, but more people um, financially empowered and taking yeah. more ownership over their money yeah. goals. And uh, you're going to write a book? <laughs> <laughs> the next barefoot now. <laughs> <laughs> one, barefoot, who, 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 one, one barefoot investor is enough. Yeah. He, uh, he takes care of bagging fun, the whole financial advice industry. That's so we true. Don't, that is true. We don't need someone else doing doing the same thing. Mind you, I think he's got a lot of good stuff in his book. He does. He definitely and, uh, does. I actually, I did, some, um, I did some financial education at my kids' schools and I gave like the winners of this sort of uh, program, this money, money management program, I gave him a copy of his book. Yeah. So, yeah. But he does, um, he rips into us financial advisors. He does. But I think yeah. I think what he does, which is really, um, you know, compelling is around taking the jargon out, out mm. of finance. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that, um, yeah, we have to be really, really careful of. And, 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 you know, sometimes I sort of, 
I'm always thinking to myself, you know, you go through meetings with clients and, and some people will say you should actually be asking your clients at the end of the meeting to actually repeat back to you or explain what advice you've given them. Like, that's, that's great. Yeah, it's a good idea. I just can't quite, I can't quite get myself to do it though. <laughs> it just feels a little bit too awkward. Yeah, no, I can, yeah. yeah. But sometimes, you know, you know, you say this stuff and, and well, maybe people don't understand it and maybe they're, maybe they're too shy to say that they don't. I mean, I work very hard to keep it, to keep it, you know, jargon free. Yeah. But I think a lot of the time people won't speak out when they're, when they're confused. Yeah, I think I think you're yeah. right, and so it's sort of how do you open up the channels to make people yeah. feel comfortable? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we're coming towards the end. I'm going to ask you for your three tips soon. Sure. But is there anything else that you want to uh, you want to tell the audience? Anything that perhaps we we didn't cover? Oh, look, I think I think we covered a lot. Excellent. <laughs> Good. I feel yeah. Okay. Excellent. So I'm going to ask you for your three top tips now, um, but I'm actually going to ask. I think you've said to me that you're happy to do two, yeah, three top sure, tips. Sure, sure. I'm so, happy to do six. Yeah. Okay. So, well, well, on my um, on my thing, you, we had three top tips for startup founders and three top tips to get financially fit. Are you happy to do three tips for each of those? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Terrific. So let's start. And each one can only each segment of three tips can only go for about a minute and twenty seconds. So okay. You be quick. Okay. <laughs> you timing? So, yeah. So first, are your top three tips for startup founders? Awesome. Okay, number one is get over your sunk cost bias and listen to what the data and your customers tell you. Mm-hmm. That's number one. Number two is seek mentors who can support you. And as, a, as I mentioned, as a solopreneur, I've been incredibly lucky to have a few incredible world-class individuals that have been incredible with their time. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, without them, I'd be months behind where I am today. Yeah. And finally, number three is have the courage to make a difference. And for me, I don't love attention but I found a problem that I'm incredibly passionate about Mm -hmm. and I've put myself outside my own comfort zone to try and solve this problem and I've learned a huge amount in the process. Terrific. Have I hit the timing? You did hit the time. The only thing I'm just going to get you to clarify is sunk cost. Sunk cost bias. What what, what that means. Sure. So that's around when you invest a whole lot of time and energy into something um, you can want to continue it because of the time and the energy that you spent on it. Right. I think it's just about ripping that band-aid yeah. off and saying yeah. it's not working, just that, move on. That time and energy is already in the past. Exactly. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. But it does drive a lot of decisions um, yeah. in organisations as an example. Okay. Then I'm going to ask you for your top three tips uh, to get financially fit. Awesome. Okay. So number one, and these are big, by the way. <laughs> so number one is, um, there's a, my favorite quote by Anne Rand. She says that money is only a tool. It will take you wherever you wish, but will not replace you as the driver. So I think if you take one thing away, it's to be the driver of your money. And that means to set goals and let your money work for you to achieve those goals. Mm-hmm. Number two, and aligned with this and something we've discussed, is to unintentionally save intentionally. Mm -hmm. So this is around setting your money up so that you're saving for your goal without even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And finally, number three, and this aligns with your work as well, is be prepared for the unexpected and the inevitable. So we're all going to die and Mm. we all hope to retire. And some things you don't expect to happen sometimes do. Mm. So how do you best position your future self today? Yeah. Did um, Did I send you the podcast of the lady that I did... Um, that wrote a book exactly about yes, that. Yeah, yes, you yeah, did, yeah. yeah. That was amazing. Yeah, she's yeah. fantastic, yeah. She had like a whole lot of shocking stuff happen to her over the course of like a month. Yes, yeah, oh, yeah. her story was horrible. Yeah. Shame, yeah. But um, 
yeah it just shows you there's inevitable things that are going to happen so you got to be prepared okay Absolutely. so um and where can people find out more about you Absolutely. So on Instagram at fempowered.project and my website is www.f-empowered.com.au. And Facebook group or not yet? Yeah, there's a Facebook group as well. There yeah. Is? Yeah. 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 Okay, look, thank you very much for, for coming on this week. It was a great discussion. Thank and, you. Uh, Thanks for having me. I think me. we covered off a whole lot of stuff, but it was, <laughs> um, it was really enjoyable. Thank you so much. Okay, well, that pretty much winds up uh, the show for today and, in fact, actually winds up the show for 2018. So thank you very much uh, for listening over that period. Uh, We're going to take a bit of a break uh, and I'll be back in the, I think it's the third week of January, uh, ready for another year and hopefully pushing towards show 100. Thanks for tuning in.